Hi, everybody. It's Jonah Pallone, and welcome to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. If you're interested in learning about the stories of American small business owners and why small business is great for our country, this is the podcast for you. In my role at Midstreet, helping people sell their companies throughout the Southeast, I've been fortunate enough to get a behind-the-scenes look at the lives and organizations of hundreds of business owners. I created Owner Operated to let you in behind the curtain. Follow me on this journey and subscribe to my newsletter at jonahpalone.com. In this episode, I sat down with Mel Phillips, president and co-owner of Product Recovery Management, PRM Filtration, and Triangle Stainless. Operating out of a 150,000 square foot facility in Butner, North Carolina, PRM manufactures environmental treatment systems and offers field services for equipment. Even though Mel is a Duke fan, he was gracious enough to accept a feature from a Tar Heel, and he runs a fascinating company with a treasure trove of knowledge to share. Give this one a listen and let me know what you think. Pay close attention to how the family recognized a need for environmental remediation after preventing a major contamination of local drinking water near Hillsborough in North Carolina. It's fascinating. Now on to the show. All right, Mel, thanks so much for being on Owner Operator. I really appreciate you being here. Tell the people who you are and, and what you do. Hey, good morning, Jonah. Thank you for having me. My name is Mel Phillips. I'm the president of uh, Product Recovery Management and Triangle Stainless in Butner, North Carolina. Uh, we basically manufacture environmental treatment systems and equipment. Uh, we have a few subsidiaries, including our uh, e-commerce side, which is Pure Infiltration, which has uh, really grown, helped us grow our company here in the last uh, five years or so. That's awesome. So, Mel, let's start off with your story and how you got into the business. Um, if you would, take us back 70 years now. <laughs> take us back all the way to the beginning. <laughs> How'd you get your start? Well, um, when I graduated high school, I, I went to work with my parents as an electrician. I got my license at a very young age, and uh, my parents had an electrical contracting company in Durham, North Carolina, home of Duke University. That was. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I did that. Uh, that was interesting, but we we had uh, we had a client that was an oil jobber, and we started doing some environmental projects, doing wiring, uh, dealing with gases and explosive environments, and that led into um, an accident happening for one of our clients. And it was a it was a petroleum release that got into the Eno River, and you know that led into us putting in an environmental treatment system, and that really sparked my and my dad's and mom's curiosity and you know next thing you know we're we're developing into a new business and you know within six months or so we we had actually opened up prm as a develop as a division of phillips electric and the business just uh never stopped growing and we just continued to expand and um my brother and i uh brian phillips who's my partner um we we bought the business from my dad back around 2011, and we've continued to grow it. Um, we've, we're a national brand, and we've added added some subsidiaries that I mentioned and just keep on going. That's awesome, man. What a story. Um, so there's a lot I want to get into. I want to start off with you went from electrical contracting with your dad, right, yes. to environmental remediation. When you guys were going through that process and did you did you consider man should we really be doing this this isn't what we know i'm sure there was a ton of unknowns as you were learning that but what made you decide to choose that and try it out well it was just a it was a you know i'm talking 1990 
and there was there was no you know environmental remediation was almost an unknown word at the time and there was you know granted we weren't the first but there were a lot of people doing things that they didn't really understand and I and and we were one of them and um it helped you know me being exposed to engineers and consultants um just this high school kid um that had graduated and didn't go to college, it, it helped expose me to some things that I started to pick up like a sponge. And, you know, it just was really interesting. And uh, we saw that there's a better way. And, you know, we, we just developed the business and kept forging ahead. And I, I feel like at the time, you know, I, I, I felt a little lost, but, you know, we just kept going. And I, I think in, in reality, we were kind of pioneers in the business. And, um, our, you know, our business now, we have about 70 employees. We've got, uh, you know, engineers, design engineers that work for the company. We've got, you know, we're a UL shop. We've got all these certifications under our belt. And, you know, I think we're a good, stable, growing business. And, you know, we're just, we're just trying, to, trying to keep it going to the future generation, uh, including my sons that work in the company. Right That's now. awesome. And I'm definitely going to touch on family, but I want to start off with the transition from electrical contracting to, um, environmental remediation and, 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 um, landfill, natural gas, landfill, methane gas. So when you were transitioning, at what point did you, you know, so you started this new job, you tried it out and you said, wow, we actually kind of know what we're doing and we could offer a service that doesn't really exist out there right now. When did you really know that it would be the focus? When did it switch into the real, the focus? Because the electrical contracting business isn't nearly what PRM is right yeah, now. Yeah, right? I, I think by the, by the mid nineties, you know, we had, we had, uh, you know, created enough of a, of a, of a base with clients, you know, we started to grow and expand you know, mostly in North Carolina at the time, but some things expanded outside of the state. You know, I, I had some friends down in Florida that helped pull us into the business down there, which is a really big remediation market. And um, we, we just, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. Once the gears started turning, you know, they kept going forward. And, and here we are today. So where, where's your geography focus, your service area for, so you've got an e-commerce side, but the actual, you know, remediation that you guys do so so the core business product recovery management is a it's a national company we're, we're, we're headquartered in butner north carolina we, we've got some some remote offices down in florida and up in new york massachusetts um but our, our, our core is right here and you know we're, we're manufacturing systems that cost anywhere from you know twenty thirty thousand dollars to millions of dollars so the ge geographic um, location of these projects are all over the U.S. And we do have a field service staff. I would say the, the field service projects, we, we focus in the southeast or northeast. But when it comes to manufacturing systems, you know, our, our, our clients come to us from across the country because they know what we know. They, they understand that we know what we're doing and, and the, you know, the cost of transport is really insignificant when you look at the big picture. Okay. Got it. And when you were building the business with your dad and your brother, um, I guess let's talk about that a little bit. So, so who, your dad owned the electrical contracting business and brought your, your brother and you into it, right? My, my mom, my mom and dad owned the company and my mom was, uh, you know, she was the backbone of the company and, you know, my dad might've been out there in the field doing the work, but my mom brought the structure to the company. Yeah. She held it together. And, um, you know, so, later, as 
you know, my, my dad was very instrumental in the company for those, you know, 15 or, you know, he's passed away now. He passed away five years ago, but he was very instrumental in how Brian and I do things today. You know, he was a firm believer in taking care of your vendors, paying your bills, you know, treat, you know, treating the customer correct. If you mess up, fix it. And we've, we've done that in the past. And, um, we don't try to ignore our issues if we have them. We, we've actually tried to learn from them and not make mistakes over and over again. You fix, fix your problems and, and you move on. Um, so, yeah, my, my parents were definitely instrumental in, in getting us where we are today. And um, here we are. So with your with your dad and your mom starting the, that company and, and bringing you guys in, for you it was a decision and, and your brother decision to go to college or not go to college. And this is kind of one of the themes of the show that, that we've kind of, we've talked about a lot is just is that a right choice for people who want to be more entrepreneurial? So for you, you know, it, it wasn't the right choice for you because you didn't go to college, but you, you still have this company and you've, you've been really successful with it. How, what, were, what were those thoughts back then? What were you thinking of? Well, back then, you, you know, you think you think if you're not going to college, you're a lesser person, maybe. Or, you know, I, I don't know that I felt those thoughts, but, you know, I got into the um, Naval Academy um, when I was 18. I, I elected not to go because of a eight-year contract, and I went into my parents' business. And, um, you know, you know you, you're not really thinking about those things when you're 18, 19, 20. Uh, at least I wasn't. Um, but today, looking back, um, you know, all my kids have had the opportunity to go to college have gone and they were successful. And I would, you know, my, my, my daughters, I'll encourage them to go and let them gain some success from it. But I would also encourage everybody to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's an experience. Uh, you can learn from it. Um, you know, don't go and waste your money <laughs> or your parents' money. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and on the flip side, you know, if you get out of high school and you know what you're doing, go for it. That's fine. Yeah. yeah but, but never stop learning. For you, when you were growing up, was there pressure put on you as a kid to join the family business or did you, did you always want to? Were no, I, 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 I kind of joke with people that I was working when I was nine years old. I think my dad was putting me under houses running wires because I was so small um, or, or maybe it was because he was scared of the rats and, and I just got it done. But, um, no, there was definitely no pressure on me. I, I just, I, I had good family, good work ethic values. Um, uh, you know, I know when I turned, you know, 15 at the time, you can't do it now, but, you know, I went to work at, you know, like Heckinger's or like a Home Depot and on the weekends. And, you know, once I turned 18, I went to work for my parents and I feel like I've ha- always had a good work ethic. Yeah. Uh, I definitely want to get into family values and, and what your family has taught you throughout the years. But so just continuing along with that journey, right? So you're 18 or 19 years old, you're getting, you're becoming full-time in the family business yep. throughout that process as other, I mean, you, you obviously had peers grow up around you. Did you ever feel like you wanted to do something different? You ever have second thoughts? I wouldn't say no, not second thoughts. Um, I've always thought there could have been other opportunities or other things I could have done, but I've never dwelled on them whatsoever. You know, I've always been uh, a, a very optimistic person, and I, I, I try to motivate myself um, as I'm doing things and just stay upbeat about what I'm doing. And I've never been in that situation where I just want to go a different direction um, and hopefully never will be. And, you know, I try to encourage our people here to be optimists, not, not pessimists. But you also, in business, that pessimistic side's not a bad thing because it, it takes a balance because 
you can get yourself in trouble being too optimistic. Um, you you got to, it helps to have somebody bring you back and look at reality and make sure you study things. Um, so it's, it's my, my, my advice there is to, you know, yeah, shoot for the stars, um, but sit back and think about how to get there. Prepare for the worst. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah. yeah. So the electrical contracting business, just kind of give me some idea of the size at the time when you when you started making that switch. What was the size? How many employees did you guys well, have? Well, I, I think my parents' company was, you know, it was probably less than 10 employees at the time, probably six, six, six to 10. You know, it was a small company and, you know, my parents did well. Was, they, you know, they had no financial issues uh, having their own company. Um, when we got into this environmental business, um, it, it was difficult. And I know, you know, even though I was kind of spearheading PRM, I wasn't necessarily the one spearheading all of our company finances. That was probably more my dad at the time. And, you know, getting into a business where you have a customer base that expects you to finance work was, was a challenge. And we did a lot of projects that, you know, these jobs are hundreds of thousands of dollars and you have to, you know, you may not get paid for six months. Um, and, and there was an understanding of that. It's not just, it's not that our clients were shirking their responsibilities. It was just an agreement. They were state funded projects and, Basically, the contracts say, hey, once the work is done, you get paid. And that might take six months. So there was a, you know, there was probably a decade of um, struggles for my dad to make sure we had the financing capabilities to carry us through that. Having the right banking institutions, which are, you know, some of my best friends today, those people help guide us through that. And here we are today, um, you know, we're taking on projects that are, that are millions of dollars. And we're we're self financing projects. We're you know we we have lines of credit and all that stuff, but we don't we don't owe the banks money. We we just uh, we, we've we've figured out the formula to make enough money to keep it in the bank and basically be able to to handle these projects without financing. Got it. Not saying it'll never happen again, but um, it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be today. So yeah. when you when you were starting out, though, this is something that people don't often realize about small businesses in general is they look at them how they are today. Yep. But they don't. They didn't see them ten years ago, or fifteen years ago. So you you just said that you know your dad was sort of stressing about it for, for over ten years, the yep. working capital requirements because of that. What were some of the? Do you remember some stressful times as a result of? Of that, yeah, I, rem- I remember my dad. Um, uh, you know, let's just call it overborrowing. You know, he was. Uh, you know, the company was. You know, um, had a had a debt ratio that that probably were was not where it should be, and the bank is looking over your shoulders, if not tapping on your shoulders. And you know, my dad. Uh, you know, you know, I know he pulled money out of his own pockets to uh, basically interject back into the company and make sure the company was successful and could keep on going without, you know, without, you know, having employees worry about getting a paycheck this week. That's one thing in this company that, you know, since I've been here, I've never seen it. And we're in a position that I don't think about employees not being able to get a paycheck. I know some companies have to worry about things like that. And I think we've been successful enough to lay the foundation where 
you know, I go home and sleep well at night. So what I was trying to get at with the growth from the company when it started as an electrical contracting business with maybe six to 10 employees to where it is now with 70 employees, multi-million dollar contracts, et cetera, that's a significant amount of growth, right? Yes. Many companies, they maybe they hit a million dollars ish in revenue or they hit five million or 10 million and they stall at certain kind of markers because there's something limiting their growth. Yes. Did you, you guys must have experienced that. And how did you, how did you get around those? That's a, that's a, that's a great question. And something I, I don't really think about a lot, but now that you say it, um, yeah, we, we've, we've been, you know, in the last five years or so we've been in, I'm just going to say a round number of that $10 million a year range. And I'm not saying we've stalled, but you, you get into a spot where you're just kind of, you're kind of rotating year after year and you're in a similar area. Yeah, you're making profit. Everything's good but your growth is a little bit stymied. Um, we got into e-commerce about a little bit less than 10 years ago, but we really got into e-commerce in a big way in the last two to three years by developing our own internal store beyond Amazon and eBay and adding in um, employees that, that, that handle the in-house SEO um, managers that, that help really expand the e-commerce presence. And, um, you know, we happen to have this business that needs a lot of parts to build the systems we build. What we found is we have this magic formula is now we can buy a lot more of those products. We lower our cost to buy them. We inventory them and we move those parts through e-commerce at a much higher rate than we do our own consumption. And it's a formula that's really allowed us to expand our growth as well as our profit. And um, e-commerce this year has probably just just hit the the mark of about fifty percent of our corporate business. Um, you know, it's, it's grown every year just just by leaps and bounds, and um, it's, it's continuing to grow today. And you know, the, the profits are high, the reward is good. Um, we have a great name. Um, and I, I think it's going to it's going to be a big part of the business's future. Yeah, it's a really smart idea. Just the way you describe it, especially just that hedge with having inventory on hand, especially when you guys were making that decision. Was that you just shooting things against the wall thinking, man, how are we going to solve this? How are we going to get to the next level? How'd that come about? Well, it, it, it was just a um, it, you know, I, I didn't paint the picture. It just kind of it just kind of painted itself. But we did start to recognize that, okay, let's, let's say you buy a widget and you're, you're using them for your job, so you maybe keep three or four of them on the shelf. Well, once we created this e-commerce mechanism and we figured out how to sell this widget, if you buy 500 of them at a time, well, now they cost you half the price. You have them in inventory when all, all of a sudden we're selling, you know, you know, 20, 30, 40 of them a day. And we're recognizing a high profit from it. And, you know, we, we see that formula. It's, it's, it just stares at us it's right made there. made a lot of sense. And, and we've, we've taken that basic formula of purchasing in quantity. We're shooting for the items that we know are heavy hitters in our market, the filtration industry. And, um, you know, PRM is, we've, we've done things like we, we, we bought the brand name uh, bagfilters.com. It's kind of a, it's just kind of a catchphrase and it drives traffic to us. And we created a new entity this year, magstrainer.com, you know, magnetic filtration. It's relatively simple, but it falls into our, 
into our arena. And these these things just they just they just move sales to our e-commerce side. And who's the end customer for for the e-commerce business? Well, our, our our intent ten years ago was that it would be our remediation customers, and they are a percentage of our customers today, probably two or three percent. So the, the 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 and this is another you know thing that we see you learn over time that um, our customer base is 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 hugely broad, and it could be anybody from you know a a, a small. Uh, OEM or manufacturer building some small skids in a shop, um, needing pressure gauges or bag filters to the guy that's working at his, at his house trying to take care of his swimming pool and, and needing some parts. We, we don't discriminate who we're selling to. Um, obviously, we've built a store brand and a system and a platform that allows all of the buyers to get uh, excellent pricing good quality products and knowing that when they hit that button and they hit purchase that that product is probably shipping that same day not not two weeks from now or some undetermined amount of time but our returning customers they see that hey these guys you know they i submitted this order at two o'clock today and at, at 3 30 i had a tracking number and had it the next day they're they're very happy so I want to get into how you built that section of the business because it's a, it's a it's really a completely separate business model in the way that you sell to customers and deliver to them and manage their expectations. But first, I want to talk about it. well, it's just funny that you mentioned those two examples because right now we're selling a company that manufactures crates, boxes, and skids. So we're literally in the closing stages of that one, and then the pool we're we're selling a pool builder that we're just about to launch. So I just thought that was funny you chose those two examples when you were building that e-commerce company. And I guess you do you think about it as a separate company? Or is it really? I do think about it as a separate entity. I mean, it's, it's obviously the same corporation. I know that, but it's yeah, I, I, I do think of it kind of in its in its own box in a way. What were the first things you did to start that? Well, the first thing I need to say it wasn't me. It's the people that work for me, and you know, I might have had the idea, you know, eight ten years ago that hey, we've been buying parts for twenty years, and look at all this old stuff sitting on the shelf that we couldn't bring ourselves to throw away. We sold it on eBay, and then we we sat back and said, "Wow, that worked pretty good." And you know, um, we you know we, we we started bringing in people, and I, I'm just going to say his name. You know, um, Todd Kelly. He's a guy that works for us, and he he heads up our logistics now. And Todd, you know, helped us add some structure, some meat meat and bones to it, or meat and potatoes that just helped us to, um, you know think a little differently how we're doing things and and we started hiring other people you know and then we started the the Amazon store and those are necessary stores we have them and then then we started our own store and um, I do spearhead a lot of things in this company I, I push our folks a little bit um, but our people you know they they really help put it together and um, it's a logistics thing. You really have to control the logistics. And we're talking about big money. You know, there's, you know, used to you're getting pallets of material showing up and putting it on the shelves and barcoding it and scanning it. And today is when we have materials coming in, we have, we have full shipping containers of products coming in just one after the other. And it takes, it takes a team of people to logistically put those items where they go shipping and receiving to do a good job of being able to turn it over and, 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 and just keep it flowing and then manage 
manage not just the, the physical inventory, but the inventory on paper for our guys being able to go into the computer and do we really have it? And, and we do a good job of it, or they do. This show is brought to you by Midstreet Mergers and Acquisitions, a business intermediary based out of Raleigh, North Carolina that specializes in selling businesses generating $1 to $25 million in revenue throughout the Southeast. If you own a business and are considering an exit, check out their website and contact them at midstreet.com. That's M-I-D-street.com. Now back to the show. So you've got a team of, of about 70 folks. One thing that stood out to me as you were talking was just this concept of leadership and managing people, right? When you were coming into the business, was there some awkwardness as you were rising up? Did, did he put you strategically kind of walk you through every aspect of the business? How did that process work? No, you, no my dad, my dad, it was just kind of a, you know, it is what it is kind of thing. And it, we, we just all did our part and it flowed. But as, as we've grown through the years, you know, you, especially when you have your different, you know, sectors of the company, you really, somebody has to, somebody has to lead at the top. And, you know, we're, you know, we're not real big on flow charts of who every person is and what their exact roles are. There's a, there's a little bit of people wearing multiple hats, but in general, I, I try to give general direction to my managers and, and, um, it works. It, it really does. How does that practically work at your size level now? How many managers are you kind of managing? Well, I, I would say I, I, I probably personally have to, at a high level, I've probably got, you know, seven or eight people that I, I try to talk to on a very regular basis and they manage their people underneath them. And, you know, each of those might have, you know, four or five, six, seven people under them. And, you know, we, we, we try not to, to be too structural about it. Um, we, we like to, let everybody kind of feel like they're on the team and, um, you know, it works. So how do you make that culture happen? I mean, the way you talk about the company, people are kind of have this positive mindset, or at least that's what, that's what the goal is. And short of working together to achieve these goals, how do you get everybody on that train together? Lots of emails. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, but I'm not. It's, you know, it's, 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 hard, it's hard to get, get 70 people together at once and, and keep everybody on the same vision you know i do send out a lot of emails and i try to be you know i you know you know you have to you have to cater to people's feelings and you know you have to you know make sure you're you're just trying to guide everybody on a, on a common on, on in a common direction and um you know we, we want to take care of our people we don't want to overburden anybody but we all want to we want to grow in a positive direction so yeah i try to be tactful you know and yeah i, I do have to send out specific emails to certain people to kind of get them to sharpen the pencil a little bit here and there, but, but it works. I do see, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're growing to the, you know, we, you grow in steps and I, I do see us growing to a, another level now. And, you know, I'm no professional in, at how this advancement works, but, you know, I just, I see there's a continuous need of change with leadership and, you know, I, I, I see that we could have to, you know, I might have to have less people accountable to me that have a broader range of control as we continue to grow. Where do you see the company five years from now, 10 years from now, where do you see it going? Well, sure. I'm, I'm 52 years old and, um, you know, you start to think about these things when you get secession and whatnot. And, 
you know, my, my two sons work in the company now. One's, one's in e-commerce, one's, one's in a, a mechanical engineer, and basically is in, in all of our design projects. And, you know, I, I start to think about, you know, handing responsibility down to these guys. And, you know, then on one side of the fence, you may think about corporations that are knocking on your doors, which happens literally every day. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've had to ignore a lot of that and, you know, cause we're not, we're not in a position that we've just wanted to sell the company, but you know, you, you, you got to look at everything that's in front of you. How big do you think? I mean, this is just an interesting point for me. I mean, you see electrical contracting companies all the time that grow to a certain size. They just sort of stay there for the rest of their life. And then you see even companies in your, in your niche as well, but you guys are pretty sizable. I mean, you, you've grown to a pretty impressive size. What is it that got you to that next level? So, I, you know, company A gets into um, environmental remediation, makes $5 million in sales a year, is comfortable and kind of stays around that level. Company B, you guys continue to grow and expand. Yeah. Well, I'd say this. First of all, my dad always kidded around. He said, as long as you work in the arena where you're treating air and water, you always have a job. And that's become more and more true as, you know, as the, as the world's getting more green and, you know, people, they, I, I hate to say it, but they kind of flock to us to help them with, you know, find solutions to their problems. And, uh, so diversity is something that we've been about. We, we, we believe in diversity. We have some good national accounts that have been with us for, for 15, 20 years, um, national food chains that, you know, we, we build products for them specifically i'm not going to mention brands here but you know i'm talking about chains that that have you know three four thousand stores and they come to nobody but us and you know once we get those things we hang on to them and we just grow from it so we 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 continue to grow through this diversity in our business sectors and you know we're, we're actually in an acquisition right now we're buying another company and you know i envision that's going to bring you know three to five million dollars more revenue to the company annually We've got to find a home for it here, but we'll do it. Um, you know, we, we don't see ourselves downsizing anytime soon. And when you bring on other companies to the business, what is your main driver of that? Is it added revenue or is it also just support for what you guys currently do? Added services, stuff like that? All of the above. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I, obviously, as you know, we, we, we have a big investment with our building here, which we, you know, we undertook. So we want to make sure that we're, financially and fiscally, fiscally capable of sustaining ourselves and moving forward. And, you know, when we bring in these other business units, that's, that's what we're doing. And how important is culture when you bring in those other units? We're a very diverse cultured company. And, um, you know, <laughs> it, it, that's a tough question for me because I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't really think about culture, but, but every, you know, everybody we bring in is different. They, they bring, they, you know, we, they bring in their cultures. And I, I guess I've just been so saturated through the last three, three decades of business that, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've been flooded with different cultures. So it's, you know, we just roll, roll with the punches. Yeah. I, I guess, I mean, just to clarify that a little bit more, like the way they do business, you know, for example, easy example would be landscape company that buys another landscape company. Let's say this landscape company focuses on quality. This landscape company focuses on price. That's sort of like they're right. Maybe might not be culture, may not be the best word, but it's not as much of a fit for them. That's 
I'm assuming that's pretty important for what you guys do. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, the you know, obviously the businesses that we acquire and, and the you know the directions we go, they they have a general theme of environmental responsibility. And you know, as a company, I, I feel like we've done a lot of things here to prove that. Beyond you know, we're we're all about efficiency. Um, you know, this building that you're sitting in right now, there's there's a thousand solar panels on the roof. roof so. All the energy in this building is solar energy, um, and and we we trickle that down to our systems that we build. You know, we do we do systems that use renewable energies. We 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 promote it. We try to get clients to, to think about the you know the responsibility that they have, and you know just trying to be efficient. This this one company that we're buying right now, um, they build a product that we've built in the past, but their product is much more energy efficient. And I've seen that, so I'm, that's really what I'm going after is the energy efficiency. And I think we can take that to the end users, and we can really—I um, don't want to use the word, word exploit because it sounds bad—but really, what I'm trying to do is expose Capitalize. end users yeah. to you know really let's let's really think about this energy efficiency part of it because if you're going to buy a system or or a component and use it for ten or twenty years. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna consume hundreds of thousands of dollars of energy that you didn't need to, you know that's that's not good for our kids. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so if I had to pick a common cultural cultural theme here is is environmental responsibility. Responsibility. So when you're when you're sourcing these other companies and and and, and purchasing other businesses in a similar industry, how are you finding these? deals is it mostly like just network of influence you just know kind of the space or so generally relationships that there are people we've dealt with in the past you know you see you when you work with companies through the years you you see the good and the bad and you, you figure out the good ones i want to take it back a little bit to the genesis and just the beginning of the business and, and family dynamics and stuff like that so currently you run the business with your brother right correct so how is your role differentiated from his and as you grew up in the business how did how did you guys sort that out? I guess. Well, I, I would say I was more in the business initially. Obviously, he's five years younger than I am. He he also started as an electrician, and he spent more time in that direction. But by nineteen ninety, I don't know, probably seven or eight, he was coming back into the PRM side, and um, you know, he was uh, he really wasn't into the business side of things until about the time we were buying my my dad out, and. Um, since that happened, you know, our roles are uniquely different. I, I, I run more of the business. He runs more of the, of the shop. Um, we both understand everything that happens here, both from a financial perspective and it to a nut and bolts perspective. And he's more hands-on, but I understand it. And um, we mesh very well together. We don't argue. We sit down with our attorney and our accountant on a regular basis, and we, we go through everything and you know, we, we generally end up with the same mindset of, of how we're going to continue to grow the business and handle projects and, you know, it's all good. How do you, how do you not let work bleed into family too much? Um, well, that's a good question. And, um, it's a great question because I know a lot of people just take it home and they dwell, dwell on it all night long. And when I leave this place at, whether it's four in the afternoon or six, it's usually four thirty or five, but I just go home and be home. And I, I've, I'm not saying I don't deal with business, but I try not to dwell on it. And, um, um, 
you know, my weekends, I try to get some isolation. We've been really busy in the last year or so, so there's been a little bit of overlap. But in general, I'm really good at just just cutting it off and leaving it alone. I've got a good accountant and a good attorney, not many worries. You know, I've got good people underneath us that are taking care of what they've got to take care of. So, so we're, we're in a good position. So transitioning the business from your dad to you and your brother, yeah. did he, were the things he put in place that were, that you look back on it now and say, man, he really, that was really a smart thing that he did showing us that or transitioning it down that way. Yeah, so so I, we we spent a lot of years with my dad. My dad was mostly in the office, but he also understood the shop, and he would go out in the field. And um, he didn't like office work, but but he was there, you know, going through spreadsheets and numbers and making sure the work we're quoting is done properly and whatnot. So I I know that um, I gleaned a lot from my dad over the years. You know, we're you've got to be conservative when it comes to finances, and you've you know you. If you lose money and you keep losing money, you go out of business. And we've we've been successful in not doing that. So um, the transition actually went pretty smooth when we bought when my dad um, retired and we bought the business from him. He told my brother and I, he said, "Hey, don't worry. I'm going to be there. I'm going to come into the shop, you know, at least three or four days a week, and work with you guys and help make sure everything is going great." And Brian, I thought that was great. My dad retired, and we never saw him again. I'm kidding. He he really he really cut loose. He he knew that Brian and I had it. He trusted you. He trusted us, and um, we knew that when he said he would be in a lot to help us with you know looking at jobs and doing things, we we knew that he wouldn't, and that was okay. That was okay, and um, you know we Brian and I did really well um, from that time forward, and. Must have given you a lot of confidence, him saying that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I miss my dad a lot. It, it's, uh, um, you know, he was the patriarch of the family, and, you know, now he's gone, and, you know, we have to try to fill that void, but he's always there in the background. Um, and, I, you know, you know, his picture sits right right in front of me on my desk every day, and I look at it, and, I, you know, I, I do ask myself when I'm, you know, making decisions, I'm like, what, what would my dad do? What would dad say, yeah. Yeah, and. So I feel like I, I talk to him a lot, <clears throat> but yeah, I think he would be really proud to see that we've just continued to go in a, in a positive direction. What kind of man was he? I mean, it seems like the way you just described it, you and your brother are sort of versions of him focused on either <laughs> end, right? Yeah. What kind of man does he, did he have the analytical and the people? I mean, was he both or what was his role? No, my, my dad was just a guy that, that would say it like it was and just right or wrong. And, you know, he, you know, he, he was an electrician. He didn't go to college. He was, you know, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't an engineer, but he was an engineer with his hands. He, he, he understood how to do things. He built race cars and did all these things himself. But, um, yeah, he, he really wouldn't spend a lot of time analyzing things. It was either right or wrong. You know, this is how it is. And, and you know, he, he made his decision real quick he had like a default to action almost it sounds right yeah he, just, he, he had a moving. gut he had a gut feeling on, yeah. on most things he got involved with and he you know he, he he made his decision pretty quick what he thought about somebody or something you can access previous episodes of owner operated and sign up for my free weekly newsletter where i summarize topics from each episode and send them straight to your inbox at jonahpalone.com in the show notes that's jonahpalone.com and if you like the show please leave a review and tell a friend 
to help more people find owner-operated. Back to the episode. So you said that um, you and your brother use your attorney and your your CPA as counsel a lot. And at this size, you have to, right? I mean, I, I would think. Well, both, both guys are we're, we're good friends of my dad's. And, and you know, our, our um, accountant, uh, Johnny, he... You know, he's been our accountant for 30-some years, and Jim's been our attorney for 30-some years, approaching 40. And we actually hired, uh, after my dad passed away, we hired the attorney into the company. And, um, you know, but both are, you know, the size we've gotten to, you know, they, they're a necessity for me because um, I can't sit there and absorb all that paperwork and spit out the right answers. I, I, I rely on them heavily to help guide us. Before you guys make a business decision, say you're thinking about, I don't know, expanding the building or buying another business, you're consulting with them and talking yes. with them about the numbers. Yeah, this acquisition we're doing right now, I've, I've, I've talked to both a good bit and they, you know, you know, want to get their blessing and, yeah. and get their opinions. And uh, doesn't mean I, we have to listen to exactly what they say, but we, you know, we take under everything under consideration and, you know, they, they're, they're generally supportive of what we do. How do you find professional advisors who are like that? You know, how, how, how do oh you find goodness. them and, and, and what are the qualities that make them stand out among the, there's well, tons of them, right? Well, the, these two guys have been in the, in the business for a long time and we've known them for 40 years. So you, they, they just have it and, and we know they have it and we trust them and they, they give us good advice. Um, you know, none of us live for, forever or work forever. So they'll be gone at some point and we, 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 we'll have to fill those gaps and, um, you know, I, I guess I'll, I need to start thinking about things like that. So, so related to that is hiring and and finding the right employees for the company. Yeah. When you guys hire now, you know, from the bottom of the ladder to the managers that report to you, those managers are they all pretty much folks who have built themselves up to that point, or were they hired into the company separately, or a mix? It's a mix. Mix. Definitely a mix. We've had a lot. We have a lot of employees that've been around for twenty some years. And they're, they're, they're staples in the business. They're in their management position or, or design position, and they, they've grown with us. Uh, we, we do have to go outside of the box and, and look for people from time to time. This year, we've gone through a, a good bit of transition with, like, shop folks or, or field folks. Um, you, know, it's, uh, you know, COVID affected things. It's, you know, people's mentalities of – if they want to go to work or stay at home and and get a check, we've 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 personally seen oh yeah seen where where people may decide not not to go to work when they should be, um, but uh, you know we've got a good group of people right now. We've 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 hired maybe maybe five or so folks in the last month in the shop, and um, you know we, we we try to get them trained up and and make sure they're paid well and good benefits and. Yeah, generally we're, we're able to keep people. Have you noticed a difference in success of the employee if they're hired from the outside versus built from the ground up? Well, obviously, it come, it, you know, it, it comes to, you know, when they come into the company and how long they're going to be here. You know, generally people that come here stay here. And, you know, wherever you enter, um, you know, you're, you know, if you stick around, you're obviously going to grow. And um, there's success with that. Um, so I, I, I would say that, you know, I mean, we, we, we certainly like promoting from within, but with our, with our, um, growth, you know, it's been, you know, it's been difficult to just purely 
sure. grow from inside. We've, yeah. had to, we've had to pull some people in from the outside. Got it. Okay. So talk to me a bit about if you were giving, if, if we were having lunch right now and you were giving me advice on just general business principles, direction, et cetera. Say I'm saying, Mel, I'm thinking about buying a company. Right. I'm thinking about buying another business. What would you what advice would you have for me if I'm a young if I'm a young person thinking about getting into it? Maybe I don't have the money now, but I'm going to get a job and save up for it in the future. What advice would you have for me? Yeah, there's a lot of millennials today want to grow really quick. Yeah. Um, and and I, I've seen some kids doing that and they they um, they just I'm not going to say they jump the gun, but they're really trying to put themselves out there. I mean, you're 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 in your young 20s and, you know, you seem entrepreneurial. Um. I guess for, for advice, um, it's just, you know, take your time, slow down, think about what you're doing, study what you're doing, and um, second guess yourself. Not just once, but two or three times, you know, make sure it's, if it's something you're passionate about doing, you know, make sure you, make sure it's going to work out for you. Um, take your time. Yeah. That's a new one I haven't heard before. Yeah. Well, a lot, a lot of people jump in head over heels and, Maybe they find, you know, fifty thousand dollars of venture capital somewhere, and they just dump it in there. And you know, a year goes by, and they they failed quickly. Maybe if they had sat back and just just taken the time to maybe maybe work in the industry for a year first, um, maybe maybe really get their feet wet before they um, accidentally squander some money. Yeah, you can get in trouble out there pretty quick sense so with your dad teaching you and your brother and, and your mom what were some of the values that they taught you growing up that stick with you today and are part of the company i'm sure well just uh don't ignore your customers when when uh, i'd say the probably the first the most important thing is when you make a mistake learn from it um, because in this business we've made mistakes and um recognize the mistakes and and you go back to your clients and you say hey we we made a mistake and we're we're gonna absorb the cost of it and fix it and and you do it and what we found is those customers generally come back to you because they they know that you took care of things um yeah that that's that's the that's the main one i'd say that's the that's the main tank main main one as a family, what did you guys do? So obviously you separated business from family. Yep. What did you guys do outside of work that made things more normal? Did you have hobbies that you shared together? Was there like a dinner that you did every Sunday or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, like I said, my dad was kind of a patriarch. So he had family, you know, he would, it seems like uh, there'd be a lot of family functions that would gyrate around meeting at his house, which I'm actually moving into here in a month or so. Um, is that in uh, Butner? That's in um, Rougemont, okay. which is north, north of North Durham. And um, you know, uh, you know, my, my mom you know, is into photography, and and she does a phenomenal job uh, with that. She's always on Facebook putting her wares out there. Um, and um, was she ever involved in the business? Yeah, my mom. You know, she was like in. She was like she. She she was the glue. She was the accounting of the business, invoicing with PRM as well. Once, uh, yeah, yeah. She yeah, she's been she's been involved. I mean, she's wow. not very involved today, but sure. but she has been involved. Um, and yeah, you know, my dad, uh, yeah, he his extracurricular. Yeah, you know, he liked racing, so 
sports cars. Yeah, he had a he had a dragster, and he he had you know some sports cars that he had, and those were his hobbies. Working on the cars, tinkering Working on the cars. Yeah, seems more like a projects kind of guy, right? Yeah, he was. I mean, he had a his separate garage at his house with his lift to jack the car up in the air. Oh. So yeah, the whole the whole nine yards. My coworker would be really jealous uh, to hear about that. Yeah, <laughs> he he's the kind of guy who wants to build a barn and have that barn have. 20 cars in it when he's walking. <laughs> yeah. Like a mini. Uh, yeah, Jay my dad, he didn't, he, you know, he generally had two or three cars he was playing with, but. Not you. Not, no, no, it's, it's an expensive hobby. Yeah. And it, it takes, it's a time commitment. And, you know, I, I do like sports cars and whatnot, but I'm, you know, it, I don't, I don't dwell on them. What's your, what are your hobbies now? What do you, what do you do for fun? Well, I, I would say my biggest hobby is just, is probably playing basketball. I'm 52 years old and I still try to play two or three days a week. Um, you know, COVID put a, a big damper on that with, with all my buddies. We, we, we've been playing for a couple months now and then we just got shut down again last oh, week. Oh no. So that's, that's disappointing. Um, you know, we're, we're able to play outdoors, but you know, that's actually tonight, but really, yeah. <laughs> so, so you can't go though, because it's closed or if it's outdoors, you're allowed oh, to, got you it. Know, we still have to mask up and, and it's, yeah, it's just not like playing indoors on a court. Personal development, you know, I'm sure that was that was a big part of growing up and just becoming better over time and progressing forward. Were there any books you read along the way or audios, anything? I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big reader. Um, I've obviously the internet. You sit there and you can read all day, but I've never been a big reader of books. You know, growing up in high school, you know, you've got to read this and that. Those weren't my. Uh, I'm, I'm sure my ADHD kicks in when I start reading a book. By the time I get to about page three. You're like, all right. Yeah. What about, I mean, what about resources that you went to? Um, was it more so just people as resources? Well, yeah, people, but uh, I do a lot of research on my own just with, you know, obviously the internet. There's all kinds of resource mediums you can get into. And I, I, I you know, you get into resource documents that might be 200 pages long. I'm not going to say I sit there and, and, you know, spend three or four hours reading them, but, but I, I will get pretty deep into documents trying to educate myself. 20, uh, 21st century, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, any, any parting words of advice? I mean, we've, we've gone through a lot, obviously, but just anything you can think of? No, I just, you know, I really appreciate you coming in and chatting with me and it's been kind of fun. Yeah. Awesome. So for folks listening, how can they support PR infiltration? Well, I, I would say if, if you're, if you're involved with environmental treatment projects, uh, obviously you can just give us a call and we'll help you with, uh, solutions. But, uh, if you're, if you're a buyer looking for filtration products, just go to shop.prmfiltration.com and you know the site's very easy to use and you know there's a toll-free number on there or chat if you need support we'll help you out very good all right that's it thanks Thanks so much mel appreciate it man this episode of owner operated is sponsored by on tops roofing a family-owned and operated business servicing the triangle area of north carolina since 1991 with a long-standing commitment to quality work and customer service, Ontops has grown to be recognized as one of the most respected roofing contractors in the Triangle. They offer roofing work, window replacements, siding replacements, and gutter installation services. Check them out at ontopsroofing.com. That's ontopsroofing.com. Thank you for listening to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. Be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at jonapalone.com, where I share the takeaways from each episode and share any resources or tips I find valuable. And if you like the episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the show grow and send it to a friend that you think would benefit from it. Thanks so much.